Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick and... Uh, <laughs> Noel, how's it going? Um, I'm very tired due to lack of sleep, mm-hmm. um, which is to be expected, um, given everything that's been going on. Um, I am also, I am weirdly proud at the same time of my home state being just weird, but also great, but also very weird, um, but also very worried about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Listeners, uh, if you don't remember, I'm from Georgia, which is currently the most important state in the entire country at the moment. (laughs) Um, Since they're closer to finishing counting their ballots than any of the other potential states that could put Biden over the top. Um, But it will also decide the fate of the U.S. Senate Mm -hmm. um, in dual runoffs which i have so many thoughts and opinions about um because the runoff system in georgia is just weird um but it's very exhausting i'm very tired um and but sort of resigned to the fact that i i'm like pretty sure biden's gonna be president like i feel like pretty locked in um like on a legal level whether or not like Trump leaves or barricades himself in a bunker or something remains to be seen um, since he doesn't want to go to prison. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of where I am. Um, how are you? How, 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 yeah. How are you? Well, um, I, the, my Congress representative, my uh, congress congressman um, won. And Mm -hmm. which is very happy about because he was going up against someone who reminds me of Phyllis Schlafly. Um, You know, right? I remember you talking about this. Yeah, yeah, with uh, like Trump, but you know, more into other things. Um, So that's very good. Uh, Lauren Underwood, hopefully, will scrape through. Which, if people don't know who she is, she is amazing uh and is from the 14th district of illinois but she's up against jim oberweiss and there's a um well i could get into a whole rant about it and i have several times in the past several days i did not anticipate she would have trouble uh but she is like it's neck and neck and hopefully the mail-ins that come up uh, in over the next like you know week as they get counting with all of that will be enough to take her over the the line um so that's been really anxious anxiety inducing for me um there's a couple of their local things that i'm following as as much as i can on a uh state level illinois did not pass a progressive tax so we still have a flat tax written into our constitution i saw that guess what's gonna happen guys there's a pandemic related budget crunch and we already were screwed budget wise so everyone's getting a tax raise and billionaires and millionaires in the state will continue to pay less in their taxes than i do percentage wise how about that Yay, that's not messed up at all. Um, totally makes sense. It totally makes sense, obviously. Um, so, like, watching some of the different returns, um, like, for example, Florida going for Trump while they voted in a $15 minimum wage 
and uh, California going so strongly democratic while they screwed over labor rights um, at the same time has just been very, um, it's kept things interesting, shall we say. Uh, I haven't been all of that worried about the presidential election um, for the past several days. Uh, I've been much more focused on the Senate because I, I, I've, I've had a feeling that with the, because of the various things that are out and which ballots are getting counted when and all of that kind of stuff. I've been following this way too closely that it has seemed pretty likely to me that Biden was going to pull it through. It was going to take a while. Um, so I've, I've been able, that's helped me get more sleep. Uh, but the Senate, I've been following very, very closely because I uh, was very, very invested in Collins not getting reelected in Maine. Uh, obviously Maine, Maine just pulling up full on Susan Collins. Uh, yeah. We're very disappointed in you, Susan, but here's another chance. Yeah. Yeah. But but then like, you know, this I've been I've been checking the thing like over the past two days is everybody has been obsessing about, you know, Arizona or Nevada or like these different, you know, oh, what's the ratio in the what are the margins in Pennsylvania and in Georgia? I've been like like doing the math on the the Purdue and awesome. <laughs> like, is he under 50 percent? Is he at forty nine point nine 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 nine? Because that still counts as a runoff. Right. So I've been yes. following that and getting frustrated when I the rare times I do turn on the TV to to find out what's going on um being very frustrated that no one's talking about that um <laughs> so like that is what i've been following most closely right now it looks like that is going to go uh the way that i want it to which is to a runoff uh which is at least a, ch- a chance um so so we'll see what happens it's a it's a chance um being from georgia um historically democrats do terrible in runoffs mm-hmm. um just turnout significantly lower um and polling places are different than they are in a general election um because they are typically expect fewer voters they are in smaller places so for an example um for a general election that i participated in the polling place was in a like rec center and there were eight to ten machines all running really smoothly the runoff that came out of that election took place in a very small library with three machines for the same district Mm. um so it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of we expect fewer people, so we'll have fewer things available. But I'm really curious about how the pandemic is going to play into that, but also Georgia's overall infrastructure to turn around ballots for this very quickly and get them back um, since the runoff will be on January 5th. So ballots have to be printed and then distributed uh, for those who request them since they're not automatically given out. Um, I'm really hoping that because of the the increase in absentee and mail-in voting that which are the same thing and i know i did the and thing but that they um whatchamacallit that it raises turnout basically even though still more people voted in person early voting than voted by mail in a number of counties throughout georgia which is deeply frustrating yeah there's this thing it's called a pandemic and it's happening right now guys um so yes We'll see what happens with that. Uh, apparently, there's a chance, albeit who knows how big of one, might be really small, but there's a chance that Alaska could go not red because they don't even start counting mail-in ballots until the 18th of November. So, like, we won't... Or, no, they don't even start counting until the 12th and they count until the 18th, something like that. So, like, we won't know Alaska. Well, 
We for need two to know weeks. all the states, Kate. All the states on election day. All the states. <laughs> That's how this works. Yeah. So again, I am just much more invested at this point in the the Senate part of things, and so knowing, like, knowing that North Carolina is not going to update their numbers at all until the twelfth. And Alaska will not update anything until they start counting ballots, which won't even happen for a week. Like, that has helped me be able to get some more sleep than probably would normally be happening. So, I'm doing surprisingly okay, considering everything. The state of, yeah, the state of Considering (laughs) that it shouldn't be like this. Yeah. So, oh, man. So much, so much. I lots of uh, comfort viewing this week because uh, because I was actively trying to get away from uh, doom scrolling and from watching coverage on TV when there stops being things that they should actually have twenty four coverage, twenty four seven coverage for. Um, so we're going to be talking at the end of the show about Girlfriends, which is a you know a really significant sitcom from the aughts. Yes, aughts. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, this, the stars amongst others, Tracy Ellis Ross is, was like sort of her breakthrough show. Um, and I had never seen it and, uh, Noel, had you seen it? I'd probably, I think I'd seen like a few episodes here and there because it was actually, it was on for eight years, um, and spanned UPN and then two seasons on the CW. Um, so yeah, no, I'd, I'd seen a couple episodes of it, but I've never, I had never sat down and watched it like I had this week. Yeah. Um, so it was you know, I know that's a temple show for quite a number of people. And uh, it was really very interesting and, and really fun to just sort of just dive in with a show that I know nothing about other than, you know, the the girlfriend's reunion we got on Blackish. <laughs> so uh, we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. And then there's also quite a bit of reality that uh, has been keeping me engaged because it was the right level of investment and uh, attention that it required. Also, earlier this week, I um, did a live tweet of the Alias pilot with a friend of the show, Alice Shoemaker, and some other people, which was delightful, while everybody else was, like, stressing and waiting for the po- first polls to close. Uh, I was tweeting about uh, red wigs and fabulous costuming choices in the Alias pilot and scoring uh, choices and such, and it was a fantastic way to not watch coverage. Uh, so that's that's sort of where I'm at for my viewing this week, guys. I look forward <laughs> to any listeners reaching out with what they've been doing this week to to help with all, all this. Um, but we, we do have a, a full week of TV to talk about, even if it is going to fit into mostly a few categories. Um, so let's take a break, listen to a little music, and we'll be right back with our Week in TV.
this week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the return of The Mandalorian for Chapter 9, as well as the return of Superstore Essential. Then I'm going to talk briefly about The Repair Shop, uh, Season 1, which I have watched. There are several seasons, but there are two on Netflix. Um, the first For now. Netflix. For now, yes. <laughs> They're going away at the beginning of December, everyone. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Then I caught up with the American Barbecue Showdown, which you had already talked about on the show. And I was like, I, I'm way too stressed. I need a show. Oh, that's I haven't watched that cooking show. Noel liked it. I'm going to watch that one. I found the repair shop after. If I had found the repair shop first, I would have seen all of it. Um, sure. It's on Netflix, uh, but that's okay. We'll talk about both in a bit. Uh, then we'll wrap out wrap up the week, I should say, with the Amazing Race, Ole Ole, and the Great British Bake Off or the Great British Baking Show, Japanese Week. Uh, so first up, the Return of the Mandalorian. Uh, the episode title is Chapter Nine, but what it should be called, as you rightly noted, along with friend of the show uh, Elton Shoemaker and myself in our group text, uh, is this is the season premiere with the title. Holy crap, uh, Timothy Oliphant is ridiculously hot. Um, which so just, hot. it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. He should be much more weathered for where he lives. It doesn't, it doesn't, but it doesn't, it like that hair, that hair, you have to really maintain that hair. And Immaculately styled. He spends hours on that. He's zhuzhing for days to get it just the right, you know, sweep of the hair and just the right length. Of the beard and all, um, but it is this is pretty fun. I think I was not as fond of it as some people are. I just thought it was like a nice, fun lark of an episode. Like it's very much doing a thing. Um, and as everyone <laughs> on Twitter loved to point out, when Olivant was uh, trending for a while, yes, there's a space marshal. I wonder who it will be. Oh, could you be talking about the marshal? It's gonna be all. He has quite a niche for himself, and it's because he's very, very good at that. Um, but, so he, he slots right in. It works really well. But the thing I kept coming back to as I watched this, besides the fact that the scoring was pretty fun, was that this is why you cast Oliphant, because he's very good at this. And when he takes his helmet off, you get to watch him act. And so the whole time, like as soon as he takes the helmet off, I'm like, oh, yes, this is much better, because I can see expressions and you know, get little minuscule, minor, quick, quick, subtle reactions. And that's the thing you can never get from the title character. Oh, God. It just makes me frustrated because how much cooler would this show be if Pedro Pascal could use his face to act? He has a very good face. He's very good at acting with it. I know it's, I'm just beating, like, I'm just, like, repeating myself. I'm a broken record. I've talked about this plenty before but it real like having that direct contrast on screen of Oliphant's character with the helmet on and then with the helmet off and the fact that the episode has him going into battle with like a really scary creature thing with no helmet on because you want to see his face it just really underscored for me how much better this show would be if you could see his face if they came up with some reason that you could see his face, even if his helmet was on, but like, you know, he was projecting, I, I don't know, something. If there was some excuse to watch Pascal act with his face, I would be much happier. Now that I've repeated myself for way too long, uh, how did you feel about this premiere? And how much do I really need to let go of this pet peeve that I apparently am committed to? You're you're very committed to that. Um, I'm not going to tell you to let go of it. I don't agree with you, as you and I discussed at length last year. 
I think it works. Um, I think that Pascal, as well as his uh, stunt double, who stood in for him a lot in season one, um, do really great body work. That is just as important for me. Um, But I'm not going to get into that because we just really need to talk about how fine that salt and pepper fox is. No, I, I I really enjoy Elephant in here as Cobb, um, who's a character from the uh, Chuck Wendig um, Aftermath um, novels, um, as not a very much like a side character in those. He's not a main character in those. Um, and he just kind of slots in, but it's just, it was just it was such a breath of fresh air, really, because um, Elephant always is. He just comes in and he knows exactly what to do now. Um, so I really enjoyed his appearance and everything. And I agree with you. I think that this episode is fun. Um, it's really delightful. It is also just a massive retread of the second episode (laughs) of season one, um, down to a race of people want the weird thing that's inside the other thing. Um, in that one case, it was the Jawas wanting an egg and here it's, um, the, um, Tuscan Raiders wanting like a pearl of some kind out of the dragon. Um, and it's just like, I know it's almost certainly has to be on purpose, but it's still kind of weird to watch them just do the same episode again, um, with the same basic plot, um, just more people involved this time. So, but it was still really fun. And I think that's like the big key thing about the show is that it's really delightfully fun when it hits those cylinders, um, so like when it was hitting the, that, particularly for me in the very t- tail end of, um, season one, starting with like the gunslinger and the prisoner. Um, so episodes five and six, and this feels like very much a continuation of that kind of vibe that I was really enjoying. Um, so yes, it is a lot of fun. Um, and I enjoyed my time there, but I did also kind of let out a little bit of a groan at the end because I don't care. I don't care. And I'm saying this as a Star Wars fan, but I don't care. Um, so do you want to talk about that a little bit? I'm assuming that you also yeah. maybe don't care. Oh, I really but... don't care. So here's the thing. Yeah. Listeners, spoilers for The Mandalorian. If you're behind, skip ahead. Uh, look at the, the like the timestamps and just skip ahead. I've given you enough time. The a central part of this episode is that, oh my God, we got some Mandalorian armor, which is the Boba Fett armor, which yes. is what gets us there in the first place so that we can have this adventure with Timothy Oliphant. Um, sorry, Cobb, eh, Oliphant, because I don't have a connection to the other material. So that's why. Yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Like the character might be great in the books, but I don't have any connection to it. So he's anyways. much better on screen. If <laughs> oh, okay, okay, let me see a little. Better. But it's Timothy Elephant. I mean, everything's going to be better. Yeah. So, so I didn't when it's like ah, look, it's Boba Fett's armor. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know why everybody thinks Boba Fett's so amazing. Again, because I haven't read any of the the larger works. Right. I've seen the holiday special. It's the one of the best parts of the holiday special. Yeah. I actually think B. Arthur singing is the best part of the holiday special because I'm weird like that. I think that sequence is actually fine. But the anime is, is pretty good. Um, but in the actual Star Wars movies, the original trilogy, he does nothing of note. And so it always has made me very confused and irritated that people are like, oh, he's so cool. All he does is get knocked out by a, a temporary temporarily blinded Han Solo. If a temporarily blinded Han Solo can basically can functionally kill you and the only reason he isn't doesn't actually die is because they wanted to keep him alive in the sort like extended material, extended universe, whatever. 
Yeah. From what we see in that movie, he's dead. Like, then you are not a badass. You are not interesting. You are not hardcore. You are not impressive to me. But I'm like, the mess. Like, this is again a, a, a level, lovely little moment of fuck your favorites with Kate Kalsik. I do not get it. I have never gotten it around Boba Fett. So when they brought him back for the, for the prequels and like established this whole like clone thing and, and then they bring, they bring him back at the end of this episode here, presumably, like, I just presumably, really, yeah really don't care i really like but i know other people care and so what i care about is that other people are undoubtedly very 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 excited so while i just i don't care i am genuinely excited for the people who do care because yeah. i i'm sure they're very they're thrilled and they're really looking forward to it just like with like the 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 black was it the dark state what's the black saber called the dark saber, yeah. Dark like saber, Gideon yeah. Has yeah, that's the thing that I I have some connection to from the from the Clone Wars, um, but I know lots of people were really really excited about it, and I think that's I was, great. Yes, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, cool, the dark saber. They're gonna bring that in. Oh, that's neat. Um, yep. and, which is like more than my reaction here, but but I am like as much as I can be condescending. I'm sure about these things that I don't care about that other people love. I am genuinely excited for everybody else. And that seems to be, like, that's my main takeaway, that ending thing. How did you feel about the the reveal of, like, oh, Boba Fett's lurking around, slinking around in the background? Yeah, so I think that you bringing up the Darksaber is actually really sort of instructive for how I felt about it. Because I was very excited about the Darksaber, as you remember and listeners will remember. Uh, because of how it ties, will tie things back into uh, Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels in particular. Um, and... So that made me excited because it was just this new kind of concept of the animated series really kind of impacting the canon in a way that it did a little bit in Solo, but just hadn't really in any other capacity. Um, here, a lot of my issue with it is, is, like you, a I think Boba Fett's cool from like a design perspective because the Mandalorian armor is very cool and prior to the expansion of Mandalore and Mandalorian culture within the Star Wars expanded universe, Boba Fett was it. Um, so it was just like cool and mysterious. Um, and the lore around him in the expanded universe stuff, all of which is no longer canon, um, was really played up that aspect of him being a badass who just got a bum rap. Um, so I'm curious about how he survived because there is a short story about him surviving the Sarlacc pit um, in one of the Star Wars anthology, short story anthologies that were published in the uh, late 90s, early aughts. Um, it's actually really good. It involves him talking to the Sarlacc or what he thinks is the Sarlacc before he's able to escape. Um, but again... Here, I don't care because it doesn't really expand anything for me because Boba Fett's general presence within the reestablished canon is kind of small. Um, and I just I, I just can't get excited about it. And it, for me, more than anything, it feels like a distraction rather than an intrigue, which is what the Darksaber was for me is intrigue of how did this Imperial get his hands on this? Um, whereas... Boba Fett being escaped from the Sarlacc pit, I just go, okay, yeah, no, sure, it's fine. 
Um, so where it boils down to is I'm glad that um, Tamara Morrison is going to get work because I think he did he does he did really great voice work and some good facial performance work for the various clones in the prequel series. Um, but I'm also just like I, I just I also do not care. Um, and also. I mean, Ahsoka's in the wings somewhere for this season, and that's what I care about. (laughs) So, yeah, I I just, I don't, also don't care. I care in a different way than you don't care, but I just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So listeners, reach out, let us know how wrong I am. Um, for not caring more. We about both Boba are. Fett. Yeah, can, yeah. Well, I don't want. Maybe you don't want them to let you know. That's okay. No, it's uh, fine. I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> I can just block them. <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. Yeah, I'm glad other people are excited. Yeah, this is not a time to be t- to be yucking people's yums. To be like trying to no. like tell people they shouldn't enjoy um, fav- fan favorite uh, characters from one of the largest franchises in pop culture american pop culture history so you know i'm glad y'all are excited our next episode is the superstore premiere essential and i'm more excited about this because i thought this was a a, you know of all the different shows that are going to have at least one pandemic or covid episode the show that i was most excited to see that from is superstore because of their writing and because of what they have always um how they've handled issues that are unique to people who work in retail and work at box stores, you know, like a cloud nine. Um, they've, they've done that really thoughtfully and in, in the past. So I was excited to see what they did so far. I, I really liked it. I thought it was a very strong premiere. Um, and I liked very specifically that they got America Ferreira back to do the, like, we, here's the thing. I know that theoretically you're supposed to be done, but, um, pandemic there's no way we can do this episode like we can do the episode about how you're leaving the show before we do this one so can we just pay you to come do an extra one and so it all worked out Uh, i thought that this was really neat i'm uh not looking forward to how they write her off but not jonah um that's gonna be real dumb i can't think of a way they're gonna do it that isn't gonna be real dumb but uh i look forward to seeing what they come up with how'd you feel about essential so I think the way that Essential hits uh, really speaks to just how long the past eight months have been because of its like flashback structure for us, mm-hmm. um, but also it's like kind of like skip in time structure for it. Um, it just goes, oh, right. That was a thing we had to care about. Um and then like Tiger King jokes. Um, and it's like, oh no, that was the early pandemic. We're not doing that anymore. It's just like, oh, right. All of this is way too real. Um, so I appreciated that as like a, it, it's almost like a very contemporary period piece in a lot of ways. Um, but I still really, really enjoyed it for that reason. Um, and I thought that they did a really nice job, but I'm really curious to see how it continues to unfold for them because the uh, showrunner has said that while they're not going to do really many more heavy, like, COVID-centered episodes like this, COVID is going to be a constant presence on the show going forward. Um, So they're going to, like, talk about dating in COVID during a pandemic, um, but they're also going to, like, it's just going to be a present thing. Um, and I, I'm really excited about that as a concept to see how they continue to incorporate the pandemic into Superstore since also Superstore was one of four shows 
that I will accept pandemic-related episodes from. Okay, and um, the others are? The other three are The Good Fight, obviously, yeah. because uh, just, yes, please, yeah. just into my eyeballs right now. Um, one day at a time, because you know it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is Agritsuko. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. I, I really want a pandemic episode from Agritsuko. Um, but I think that Superstore was always at the top of the list, along with The Good Fight for me, um, because of how both shows handle the contemporary milieu um, with real acuity and with their own particular brand of either heart or razor blades <laughs> um, in a heart. Um, so this was so great to have it back. Um, and I really hope that the cast and crew continue to be safe while they continue to film episodes. Um, but I also like that they're a show that can reasonably make adjustments relatively quickly to their overall premise and still film, unlike a number of other shows that were kind of struggling to be like, yeah, please don't notice that our airport is empty on the Goldbergs. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, but the Superstore, it makes sense that their store is kind of half empty um, because it should be kind of half empty. Um, so I'm really excited to see this, but this episode was really, really great. And I do agree with you that whatever reason they come up with for Jonah is probably going to be really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. More on yeah. that next week as we record the the, the final uh, America Ferrera Superstore episode is like airing or will have aired. So uh, by the time y'all are hearing this, I'm sure we both will have watched it and we'll have, we will have plenty of thoughts, which we will talk about next week on mm -hmm. the podcast. Uh, the next show we're going to talk about is a show that I heard about from not front of the show, though we should have her on so she can be a friend of the show if she'd like to come on. Julie Starbird from um, the, one of the hosts of Podlander Drunkcast and Outlander Podcast, as well as they're currently doing, like I mentioned, I don't remember if I mentioned on the air, they're doing Jane Austen. Sostin you have Austin. not mentioned it on air, so you should mention that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are a fan of currently they're doing the BBC Pride and Prejudice um, one episode at a time. So if you are a fan of that and you enjoy people making very stupid, silly, fun jokes while and earnestly discussing, I don't know, cleavage and uh, and the cut of Elise, uh, of Regency era gowns and which uh, which uh, Darcy can and can't get it and uh, and also you know enjoying a fine adult beverage uh, while they do it. Sawston Austin from Podlander Drunkcast is probably for you. It is absolutely delightful. Highly, highly recommended. Um, so Julie uh, over on that podcast uh, recommended The Repair Shop, which is a British show. Um, it's a half hour show uh, that I had not heard of, but it is currently the first two seasons are on Netflix. There are half hour episodes. The first season is like 15 episodes. The last episode is a Christmas special, so it's like an hour. And then season two is about 15 episodes, but they're like 45 minutes long. Um, and it might have a different narrator in season two. But season one is narrated by Bill Patterson, who is a fantastic character actor. If you watch Outlander, he's Ned Gowan, the lawyer. Um, so what this show is, is you turn it on and you listen to the soothing, uh, lovely voice of Bill Patterson narrate people bringing their treasured family heirlooms that have gotten worn down and broken over time to a repair shop, which has specialists in, 
Uh, they have furniture guys. They've got a ceramics lady. They've got uh, a clock repair guy who specializes in clocks and gears and all that stuff. They, and they've got just a group of different people who uh, will then restore and fix that object um, so that people can return it to the state it was in that they remember or, um, you know, or fix it you know, back to what it should have been. These are almost always uh, objects that have gone down through multiple generations. Like this was this jewelry box was a gift from my grandmother and she got it from her mother. And, you know, or this, this, um, this is something that's, this clock survived being in a Japanese uh, prison, prison camp during the war. And now in my family, when they managed to escape, to the to the UK, they've passed down, but it hasn't worked in X number of years. Like the, it, there's always really beautiful personal stories, even if it's just this was a gift from this person in my family, and uh, they, they, there's an accordion, right? This woman who got an accordion when she was 19 and would play during the Blitz and has passed it down. Her granddaughter now is has is learning accordion, but it's broken, so she hasn't been able to play it. You know, like stuff like that. And so you get to watch objects that some of them are, I'm sure, valuable, but most of them really, it's just about the sentimental value. And also, why not fix it? Instead of throwing it yes. out, why not fix it, right? And so you just get to watch some things that are rather banged up, have had a, they used to be beautiful or at least interesting and have gotten banged up a bit and just need a little care and attention um, so that they can be appreciated and continue to bring back all the memories and all these family connections and these things that I met so much to, to, you know, whoever owns them. I wonder why that would be meaningful right now, Noel. I wonder who, who else is feeling fragile and maybe like they've had a rough go of it for a while and could just use a little, just, you know, just a little putty and just like, and we're not trying to get rid of the cracks because that's, that wouldn't be honest. It's just part of, it's part of the texture, the history of the piece is that element of it. It's, we're not trying to repair it beyond what it initially looked like. We're just trying to be true to what it actually is. I wonder why that would maybe be soothing right now. So I, have, yeah, this is this is what I've been watching as I have been attempting not to doom scroll over the last mm -hmm. several days with election results and such. You watched the first episode. I've seen, like I said, six episodes in this first season. What did you think of the first episode? Well, what was funny to me about how you're describing it, um, listeners, Kate kind of undersells the miracles that these people work. Oh, they're really, <laughs> really, really good. Yeah. Um, like, they repair a camera from, like, the early... How old is that camera? It's It was very old, and it was basically just pieces. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was not a camera. Mm -hmm. um, when the, they, the person who bought it to them brought it to them it was not a camera it was a collection of pieces um and they managed to get it working again the only thing about that camera that threw me off was the fact that they i think that they shot it technically incorrectly when they took the photo because mm -hmm. it was mirrored and it was driving me up the wall because i was like that picture looks wrong did they retake this again before they actually looked at it and then i had to rewind and go back and i was just like oh no he just it got the image got flipped um, which you can avoid if you do the other, if you do it a different way with the yeah. camera. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, oh, that's why. Okay, this is still very cool. 
Um, and that's what it is. The episode is very, very cool. And I would, I'm probably going to watch more. I think that this may be a new sort of, if I can get through it, if I can't sleep, I'll watch it on my Kindle type of show. Um, very good like for I, that. Yeah. Like I did with a uh, barbecue showdown, which you're going to talk about in just a second. Um, and just kind of like enjoy it um, because I did like this episode. It was like just distracting enough that I could kind of look away at it for a little bit and then turn back to the task I was doing. Um, but I still found it really interesting to kind of watch both the process of them remaking things like uh, re redoing that whole violin um, that was that made it through a concentration camp. Um, during World War II, um, and just a number of other things that people okay. just... You watched a different episode. They, ne- this must oh. be one of those shows that Netflix puts in different orders for different people. Oh, okay. Because I have not seen an episode about a violin. Oh, yeah, no, there's a whole episode. I am very excited to know that there is an episode about a violin. Wait, did you see the episode about the camera then? No, I have not. Oh, okay, yeah, then, yeah, they've they've shuffled the order on you. Um, yeah. I apologize for spoiling this. No, story. that's okay. Well, the, the episode titles are would be, like, camera, violin, you know, like, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, so they redo a camera that uh, made a camera. They, re, they uh, refurbish and kind of rebuild a violin that uh, made it through a concentration camp. Um, and I was actually really eager to talk to you about the episode because I wanted to know what you thought about how the violin played. Because, spoiler alert... <laughs> It plays. Um, But yeah, so you'll have to, when you get to that episode, please text me so Mm -hmm. I can know what you think about it. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's very solid sort of comfort, but also really good for doing other things while it's on kind of deal. So I really enjoyed watching it. And I really appreciate you getting the recommendation because I was on that call as well, that crowdcast where it was mentioned, but I was doing eight other things during that. Uh, so it didn't register. So I was glad you put it on the rundown so I could like pop an episode on real quick today before we recorded. Cause yeah, I'm probably going to watch more, but it leaves Netflix in like a, a month. You saw the season so. two premiere. I saw the season two premiere. Yes. Weird. Yeah. It just totally skipped over season one for me. It probably did that reverse thing that they do for some of their reality shows. Ugh. It's so annoying. I will make sure I get to that one. But yeah, well, because I didn't, I didn't see the camera was like, maybe I fell asleep during that part, which is possible. Um, yeah. But um, but the, one of the episodes I did see, they, there is a uh, terracotta jug mm-hmm. that is has broke has broken to the point where the person brings it all. They brought all the pieces and they have an envelope with the dust that is like that they could get from it and like you know the person who's taking it in who's not the ceramics expert expert kind of they're like the ceramics expert is like you did exactly the right thing you should always bring in save as much of it as you possibly can um and they they were even like like, uh, oh i mean that was maybe a bit much but the dust but then later in the episode you see her going through the dust to find flakes of the paint because then and and putting those tiny little flakes of paint back in and figuring out where they belong on the on the pot as they put it back together like it's it's amazing what they're able to do yeah so it's really, it's really great. And it's also a celebration of people, of artists, because they are absolutely artists. Yes, absolutely. And artists, who do not create their own work, at least on the show. I'm sure they make their own art and their own, like, objects separate from the show. They're interested in restoring the work of other people. And there's, there's a painting that gets restored that is where this discussion comes up a little bit. Cause I think, I think of that, the closest thing we're likely to have seen in other um, 
media is like art restoring, right? That's something that gets talked about more than like furniture restoring in pop culture, at least. Um, and talking about how like just the how meaningful it is to and what a privilege it is to be that close to the painting and trying to restore it to what it originally was. Like no one's going to ever see it as close and as detailed as the restorer is. And it's a really cool thing to be able to do for your job. But yeah, so it's also celebrating these people who are insanely talented, but if they do their job right, you don't see their work. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's really neat. So go check. If you're looking for a soothing half hour show, mm-hmm. watch The Repair Shop before it goes off of Netflix on December like 1st. So you have, you've got a month. Um, the American Barbecue Showdown is another show that I watched I, the first season of, of course. And I did end up really liking it. I, uh, I absolutely agree with pretty much everything you were saying, Noel. Um, yes, there, there are two hosts and what Rutledge, whatever his name is from. Wood, I think. Yeah, from Flores Lava is absolutely useless. The other host is not much better, but she's a little better. Um, yeah. But mostly they have two hosts and then they never have them talk to the, to the, to the cookers. They never go around and talk to the people who are, who are working. And so then why do you need two hosts to sit and chat with the two judges? You could easily have it be one. And it, it's very strange. A lot. Of, I, I hope that this is stuff that they will tweak before a season two. Um, I do like the judges very much. I think I agree that the, the, the woman it, judge is Melissa. More, I think. Yeah. Melissa. Yeah, she is more heavily weighted by the show, but I do think that I get the sense that the, the show respects both of them. It doesn't yet feel like a Paul Hollywood situation where it's like Paul Hollywood and another person. Yes. Um, but it could easily become that if they aren't careful. So hopefully there will be more, more attention given to the the male judge as well in the next ep- the next season. Yeah, yeah. The um, I like the contestants. I thought uh, a good person won, and uh, I absolutely agree that um, the one guy needs a YouTube show. He's very good. Rashid's very good. He's the best. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I, I liked the challenges. They were creative. I don't know how they're going to come up with similarly interesting but not repetitive challenges for the next season and uh i look forward to finding out though because yeah it's cool i needed them to have more than one overnight cook though yeah sure but other than that like maybe the first one and the last one would have been a good way to do it but we'll see i thought that that there were some really creative choices so i i enjoyed the american barbecue showdown great i'm really happy yeah um i think you liked it based on this you probably liked it a little more than i did but that's um, like I, I, yeah, I, it's still solid. It still ends up being really solid. Um, yeah. even if it, it still has like weird production issues, uh, produ- producing issues, I should say, um, that, yeah, they really need to like take a hard look at for season if they yeah. do a season two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, de- it was a fun watch for me. Interesting enough. Um, like on the list of all the various reality shows that maybe at the end of the year when we do our best of, I need to have like a subcategory of like, <laughs> what are your top five reality shows that you watched this sh- this year? Because I've watched a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and so they like this is absolutely like, oh, I really liked it, but like it's middling compared to all the other ones I watched. Mm-hmm. But I still really it really hit the spot, you know? Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how I feel about that. If I want to give myself extra work at the end of the year, if I will be listed out. Um, our next episode is the amazing race. Ole Ole. And there were supposed to be two episodes, but one of them got preempted this week for election night coverage. Oh, okay. So that's what happened with that. Uh, Cause the, the second part of the non-elimination 
was supposed to also air the same night. So that'll theoretically be next week. We'll see if they do two next week or if they just bump it back a week. That remains to be seen. What did you think of Ole Ole? I hate all of these people. Just, I hate all of Why them. Why do you hate them? I, I'm so, like, I know you do not like the, the helping each other out thing, but I have no problem with it. And I yeah. think it's interesting. I think it's actually interesting to see such a different take on how to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. I just find all of them really obnoxious. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Um, no, I, from a gameplay perspective on the Alliance thing, yeah, I don't like it, but I also like that this, the, these series of challenges basically prevented that from working. Um, like it was just like, yeah, no, you can't help each, you can help each other, but you can't really help each other that much. Um, you can give pointers and tips and that kind of thing for the, uh, cello, for making the cello. Um, but you can't do it for them. Um, and then for the next two challenge, for the next two like throwback challenges to season 20, um, can't help at all. Like there's nothing you can do. So the Alliance doesn't have anything, which allowed things to get shaken up here. Um, which at this point, it basically just feels like Leo and Alana against the rest of the rest of the rest of the teams. Um, really. Um, but that's fine. Um, everyone's getting a weird villain edit right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Overall, yeah, I just, I don't like any of these people. Um, but I, I think a lot of that had to do, especially with the folks who had been at the cello for a little while, were very clearly like, just give me the goddamn clue. Just give it to me. I don't really care about this children's orchestra of made instruments. I just want to go on to the next thing. Um, you could just see it in their faces. Um, and I just went, but this is very beautiful. This is very um, cool. Yeah, I, I had you heard of them before I had heard of them. I had, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah, so it was very cool. Um, but I was also, again, frustrated by the low-key racism of, this is the right place? Should mm-hmm. we be here? She's just left us here to go talk to some stranger at a door. No, don't get out of the car. And it's just like, okay, right, got it. All right, this is this is great. Yeah, well, see, this is what's making the villain edits a lot easier to connect with because it's like, oh, okay, so we're rooting for everyone uh, who's not white, and also we'll we'll put the 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 gay team in there too. Like anyone who's not a who's a part of a marginalized group, you're who we're rooting for, yeah. <laughs> and anyone who's not, except for the volleyball guys because they're just super chill. Yeah, we're rooting against you. <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's a good point. But yeah, so overall, I'm still grooving on the season. Um, and I thought it was cool that they brought back those season 20 challenges because I actually remember those challenges. Yeah. Um, they're hard, man. Well, um, and like, yeah. I, w- I, I was waiting for Hung and Chi to tell, because they're on the alliance with the, uh, the, fo- the football guys, be like, you need to position them the right way. Yeah. And then they didn't. So I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I was like, these football guys, if they would just notice that detail, would have been in and out of there. But mm-hmm. they were there for so long. For so long. Yeah. I mean, not like make the blondies making a cello so long. Cause she was there forever, too. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, I think I, this may be the season that goes down with the like. If I was ever going to be on the show, this is the the season that I would have the best chance at doing right, well in. Sure, two music challenges, basically. <laughs> I would do terribly on the Amazing Race. I'm not nearly fast or creative or uh, like charismatic with strangers <laughs> enough to do well on the show. Uh, but I can make the hell out of a cello. They could be like, you couldn't. You had to like 
I don't know how you get the string in. Like the, they, when the bridge kept popping out, it's like you have to do like. And the the one guy who's the engineer who keeps thinking his engineering background is gonna apply, buddy. It's not. It's the wrong kind of engineering. <laughs> you are thinking about this all wrong. It should apply, but you are not thinking like an engineer in the right way. You are not thinking big picture enough. You are not thinking about force diagrams and how tension w- works. Like like you are not thinking in the, in the right way here. Um, but yeah, well, I think he's a software engineer. He's not a structural engineer. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally different. And every time they mention it, I'm just like, buddy, there's not going to be a coding challenge. Yeah. It's just not. No, <laughs> there probably won't. I think there's what, didn't they have one once where there was like a room full of computers? Yes. I was, as I said that I was like, I'm pretty sure there was like a Turing type yeah, of deal or something. some sort of punch card kind of thing that they did one year, yeah. but, but they're yes. not going to have a coding challenge. And, yeah. and, <laughs> Being a, like coding and engineering, they might like fall under the same STEM umbrella, but they are not the same thing. So yes, yeah, yeah. so while they were struggling with the cello, uh, you know, like I've had enough students have bridges pop out and such, and that you know I constantly am restringing compared to people who don't play a string instrument. Um, so I was like, oh, they didn't measure, they didn't measure the the placement of the bridge. It's not going to work. Um, the thing that you do not see happen that must have happened is you do not see the cellos get tuned. Um, so like that must have happened off screen because otherwise there's no way that that group would, it would have sounded anything like what it did. But, um, but no, I thought these were super fun challenges. Which would you have gone with the watermelons or the, the bottle? Um, it, it probably would have depended on who I was racing with. That's true. Um, I, that makes a big difference, I think, in terms of deciding challenges. Um, but I probably would have done the watermelons um, mm-hmm. just because my balance isn't the best. And I, I yeah, so I, I, just doing the Superman thing with the bottle probably would have been impossible for me because I don't have the back <laughs> flexibility yeah, this is like- for that. I'm not nearly upper body strength strong enough to do the watermelon thing, but mm-hmm. also I don't have the core strength to do the the, the Superman part of that. So yeah. like, you know, it, well, and especially as we're watching this, we're going, oh, I remember those challenges. And most of these teams didn't, apparently. Yeah. So um, if because like if it was like, oh, I remember this challenge, you have to be careful about your direction. Then you can do the watermelon challenge because you then you know what you need to do. But if... Uh, you didn't know. It seemed like the bottle one went better for people. Yes, I think it did. Yeah. People got it real fast. Like it only took like three or four attempts for those that stuck with it to do it. Um, so people did, I think, better with the um, bottle challenge overall. Yeah. Um, or they knew their strengths and they went to the yeah. correct challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited for the next one. Are you, uh, have, have any uh, predictions or hopes for the next one? I don't know anything about the next one. The pre- the little trailer for this for the next episode was really like weirdly truncated. Um, so I don't know anything about it. Um, I feel like they made a big deal about something, but I don't remember what. Yeah. Well, I won't say anything because because yeah. I, I know a country that they go to because of the description, but I won't say that in case listeners don't want they want to be. Surprised. Yeah, I don't even know where they go. So, so yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, more on that next week. Next, we have, for our final show, the Great British Bake Off, Japanese Week. And let's just take a moment for Kim Joy. Uh, oh, so angry. Yeah, because she would have slayed this. Adorably angry. Yeah. <laughs> but I liked this episode. And it, you know, it, I think that it was better than I anticipated for the, how the how the bakers did. 
and how the behavior of the hosts, um, it, you know, there was not nearly enough Japanese flavors, but they weren't really looking for that all that much because I appreciate that they're like, here's the thing. There actually isn't all that much baking in Japanese cuisine. So we're going to take some ideas from it, but like, feel free to expand beyond. Or we're going to take some ideas from China and pass them off as Japanese ideas. Well, that's the thing is like sticky buns. (laughs) That's like a all of Asia thing, right? Yeah. Steamed buns like are like traditionally associated with Chinese cuisine, but they're a East Asia thing. Like, mm-hmm. a number of different cultures within um, that region of the world developed steamed buns. Um, but China is typically credited with them. But, yeah, it's 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 not a specifically Japanese baked good of any kind. Well, um, and then you have crepes, which is, like, there's more, there's French influence in Japanese cuisine, which they specifically talk about, which helps. Yes. Um, that, that helps with that one. But it's like, okay, you just took a French thing and put matcha in it and called it Japanese. So crepe cakes are actually like a, like a major like Japanese dessert. Um, okay. That people like buy um, and crepes in and of themselves are actually a really popular um, Japanese uh, like thing to mm-hmm. go get. Um, there are creperies just about anywhere. Um, so going to get a snack for like crepes or anything is kind of like just a thing that a number of Japanese people do. Um, so crepes are really common. Um, and so, yes, it's French. Absolutely. <laughs> but it is still like a popular, um, it's still a popular dish in Japan. And the crepe cake is a thing that um, is pretty popular in Japan as well. Well, it, and, you know, I was like doing a little bit of an eyebrow raise because I do not have that background or n- of yeah. knowledge. Yeah, but it's okay, I th- though. I thought it was yeah. a really cool technical, though, and they did pretty yes. good. It was a needed shot in the arm, uh, which is yes. sort of how I felt about the whole episode. I thought it was a really good change of pace. I thought, you know, like, after, you know, having, so they have, the bakers have yet to just do well in an episode. And for this mm-hmm. episode, I thought most of them did well. And it was nice to see them not, like, do really good here and then be terrible at brownies and then <laughs> pull it, you know, can they pull it through? I thought that the, in general, the kawaii cakes, uh, were really lovely and fun and creative. Um, so it was just sort of nice to see such a change of pace. And maybe it's because it was very loosely Japanese week that, or at least with two of the three, that that, that was part of it. But um, but I, it seemed like the bakers were more invigorated this episode. Yeah, I agree with you that they definitely seemed more engaged. But because of the fact that, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that while they had really specific challenges that were loosely themed. They were also just kind of broad kind of challenges. Um, So like doing a steamed bun really gives you a lot of flexibility. Oh, you don't want to incorporate any Japanese flavor? Who cares? Um, You can just do, you can do some Chinese flavors. You can do some Indian flavors. You can do two hamburgers, Um, which by the way, you should always put pickles and relish on your hamburgers. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fuck you, Paul Hollywood. Um, (laughs) Unless you're allergic to them, just suck it up because then your burger won't be dry, man. Yeah. Um, Lottie was after my heart with that. You know, maybe it would have been dry if you had the relish. Yes. No, I'm totally with Lottie there. Um, And then, right. The crepe, the crepe cake really like making crepes is hard. It's hard. Um, and then doing all the layering stuff to get those really distinct layers. Um, I think is really great. I was slightly befuddled by how, who was it? Who didn't know what a crescent was. Uh, there were several, there were yeah. several of them who didn't know what a crescent looked like, like at least two, maybe three. Yeah. And I'm just like, folks, it's a 
crescent. It's like it's it's, it's a croissant. <laughs> like it's 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 one of the phases of of the moon. The moon. It's a prominent part of the flag. Several several countries have several countries have crescents in their flags. Like it's not okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was that arguably more than anything was the weirdest thing about this episode. Yeah. Um. So I agree with you. The the car um the kawaii cakes are we're all uniformly really aesthetically pleasing. Um, even Hermine's uh, cake, which was not cute, but was really pretty. Um, I really liked. Um, but my problem with that challenge was only two bakers actually did anything Japanese in that challenge. And it pissed me off. Mm -hmm. Um, so like Lottie did the jiggle cake, which is a very Japanese, um, the cotton candy cake type of thing, which is distinctly Japanese. Um, and Peter did, um, a layer of Castella, which is a Japanese confection derived from another confection from Portugal. Um, but Castellas were still very popular. They were very popular in the lead up to the, uh, Meiji restoration. Um, so he, two people did their homework and no one else did their homework. And that was really frustrating for me. Um, but it also didn't matter because... Prue had never had Castella before. <laughs> so she didn't know what that was that was in that cake and couldn't evaluate it. Um, based on, should this taste like this? I've never had this before. Um, which is good to know. But also when you're doing a Japanese theme week, do your homework if you're judging it for the love yeah. of God. Um, well, and with the jiggle cake thing, like Paul was so impressed because I haven't yeah. had a cake this is this since I was in Japan. It's like, you know that they were like a major trend for a while, a couple years ago, right? Like, there were a big, like, YouTube or, like, these yep. different challenges that get tossed around kind of thing. Okay. Which is, again, I enjoyed Lottie being like, I guess maybe he just hasn't had any jiggle cake since he was in Japan. This is not, like, yay me and all, but, like, this is just a standard jiggle cake. I didn't do something that only the Japanese know how to do. Right, exactly. Um... But it goes back to that thing that we were talking about with, like, the ruby chocolate a couple seasons mm -hmm. ago and Paul Hollywood just being completely flummoxed by it and going, like, this has been a thing for a little while, Paul. Where have you been? Um, so that's kind of where I ended up with it is that I agree with you that it really allows the breakers to be creative. But when you do a themed week, I expect the theme to really kind of come through. And it doesn't really come through in this episode, which for me kind of holds it back. Mm -hmm. Well, the next episode is 80s week. and uh, Oh, God. What? Yeah. What? There's some fun stuff in there, but uh, it ends up uh, being quite the it, I have to decide how I'm going to approach the, like, I have to decide how I'm going to grade it and approach my recap because it starts with one tone and it ends with a very different tone. And so, yes, it. I'll just say this. Weird. It's the hottest weekend of the summer of the oh, season. No. What do you think they have to deal with? For their challenge. Do they have to make sugar? They don't have to make sugar. So they have to do chocolate stuff? They don't have to do chocolate. What would be worse than having to do chocolate in a hot tent? Well, I already guessed sugar. Um, yeah. What would be worse than having to do sugar in a hot tent? Do they have to make ice cream? Yeah. Oh, no. They yeah. don't even have ice cream makers. They give them ice cream makers. Okay. Well, that's nice. But still. Yeah. <laughs> That yep. sucks. 
Yeah. Why are why are the producers so bad at their jobs? Yeah. Well, and I'll be talking about that in my in my write up. We'll talk about that next week too. Where it's like, and I've said this before, if it's un, if it's particularly hot and you're expecting from them something that needs to be cold, that's when you bring in some blast chillers. I know normally you don't do that because the whole point is like, what what would a home baker do? But if you are going to expect them to make ice cream when and the temperatures the on one of the days, which is not the ice cream day, temperature gets up to like the 90s and it might even go into like the high 90s Fahrenheit um, in the tent. You can't expect people to work with frozen things when your tent is in the like the starts. It starts in the 80s and goes up into the high 90s. Like that's ridiculous. Or or you need to extend the time so that they can have more time to freeze. You know, like there are things they could have done and they didn't. And some of the bakers make it work, but some of them do not. So more on that next week. I look forward to your thoughts. God, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah, no, just give them blast chillers for yeah. the love of God. Yeah, it's not like <sighs> they, they they could absolutely do that if they wanted to, and they just don't. So. More on this next There's week. There's a hotel but, right there. They probably have a blast chiller. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh. So. Okay. Sorry. Look forward to your thoughts. That's okay. Okay. What wins your week in TV? Um, so we both watched uh, DuckTales, the split sword of Swanstantine. Um, very solid episode, I thought. Uh, really solid uh, three-act structure uh, for this week. Um, An excellent use of the kids. And I am... I, I, I have a ship now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but, um, I also watched a couple more episodes of Queen's Gambit, which I'm still really liking. Um, at some point I will actually have something to say about it, but I don't know when. Mm. Um, so I think what wins my week this week is going to be the Superstore premiere. Yeah. I'm going to go with Essential from Superstore this week. Uh, well, technically last week. What about you? Well, uh, before I forget again, I'll say, um, watch the Mandalorian premiere and then go on to Twitter listeners and look up W.L. Brown's thread that he posted about his experience being in the Mandalorian premiere because he's the barkeep behind all mm-hmm. the prosthetics. The Weequay bartender, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, and because of course they filmed this before the first season was airing. So he didn't know about the child. So, oh, no, he didn't? No. So That's you so great. Go go look up the thread. You'll appreciate it. And there's also like reminiscing about like getting to working with Elephant again and like, you yeah. know, they're like, we need to throw a cocksucker in here, right? Right? And they're like, no, no, you don't. We we can't do that. <laughs> this, is, this is Star Wars. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh so there, there's there's some fun with that. Uh but as much as I enjoyed the Mandalorian premiere, as much as I enjoyed the Superstore premiere, uh I'm giving my following my heart and giving it to the repair shop. <laughs> Because it was exactly the right show that I needed to help me through the past, you know, several days of anxiety around the election and waiting for results. And yes. So thank you to the repair shop. Now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer and come back with our DVD shop on Girlfriends. These women know success. I'm a real estate broker. Keeping it real and trying to keep her from going broker. Sophistication. Don't hate the limo. Hate the fact that you ain't got one. Where do I have to meet this guy? Here. When? Now. What? Open. And fun. Okay, a house full of food, liquor, clean sheets, and TiVo's got Lynn, come on in, written all over. Smart. Sexy. Funny. Girlfriends. Girlfriends. 
that was a trailer for Girlfriends, which of course is was an eight season sitcom that started on UPN and ran through to the the very beginning of the CW first couple seasons. Yes. Of the CW, as in, you know, the last seasons of Girlfriends were the first seasons of the CW. Um, what all I knew about the show going into it is that it starred uh, Tracy Ellis Ross and some uh-huh. other people who I saw on Blackish when they did a Girlfriends reunion, right. um, and that the main cast are all black. That's the only, and it was a sitcom. That's all I knew about the show going in. Um, I ended up actually having a lot of fun with it. What did you think? of the show. Yeah. So I also, like I said at the top, I've seen a couple episodes of the show just throughout time because it was on for eight years. Um, and it was one of the, it was one of the shows that fell victim to the writer's strike, um, in, um, Oh eight. Um, and also CW just axing its entire comedy, uh, development slate as well. Um, it was one of the victims of that. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of what you knew about it was basically what I knew about it, apart from um, the fact that the show also just kind of goes through a couple of different retools as it like chugged along, including like with uh, Tracy Ellis Ross's character Joan stopping being a lawyer and becoming a restaurant owner, um, and just those kinds of things. Um, but I also knew that like this is foundational uh, for some audiences that it is, but that it also handled a number of um, issues really interestingly and really delicately, um, which the list that you and I used to kind of guide us through watching girlfriends, which was uh, the 10 girlfriends episodes list from TV club uh, written by um, Alexis Arella forward um, from back when girlfriends dropped on Netflix um, back in August. Mm-hmm. Um, we use that as our guide to get through these. So if you want to pop, pop through that yourself, um, we'll put those in the show. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, obviously we can't speak to whether it's indicative of the whole show, but like as people who had right. seen it before, it did feel like it gave us, you know, there's, there's at least one episode for most of the seasons. Um, it feels like it give you as that list gives you a sense of different dynamics and different things the show tried out and played around with. Yes, absolutely. So I think that the list is really representative, at least based on what we've watched of kind of getting of like a survey of the show um, survey course of the show. So like you, I ended up having a pretty solid time with it. Um, my partner and I actually ended up watching this together and she also really enjoyed it. And I think we're probably going to end up watching some more. Um, we may watch it a little bit more th- through as opposed yeah. to hopping around. Um, but it's very good when it's good. Um, the, the, the pilot suffers from being bad sitcom pilot. Um, but also one of the fun things I think about watching this show in particular and the way that we watched it is that we just get, not only is it a broad survey of the show itself, but it is a very broad survey of comedy in the early to late aughts. Yeah. Um, not aughts. Yeah, aughts. Um, and that's really fascinating to watch them make adjustments and try to figure out the show, basically. Um, because you see that in the pilot, and then they go, like, single cam for some episodes, and then they're back to multicam, um, for the next season. Um, so it's really interesting to watch them kind of try to keep up with the, keep up with the changing landscape. Um, but... 
also like have weird shifts in tone as well, especially towards the later half of the show's run, I think. Um, at least especially the at least based on what we see of like seasons seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely like a tonal yeah. and I think approach to the material that shifts a little bit. But we can kind of dig into that. Um, where do you want to start with this then? Yeah, well, it starts out with a quartet of women, and one of the castmates wanted uh, to leave after a while, and so they're not in the last two seasons. That's Jill Marie Jones, uh, who who plays, like, so Tracy Ellis Ross is theoretically the main character, um, Joan, and her best friend is is, uh, Tony, and that's Jill Marie Jones, and then her their other their other college friend is Lynn, played by Persia White, and Joan's assistant is Maya, played by Golden Brooks. Um, so it centers on very much Joan and Tony, and then Tony leaves for the last two uh, seasons. And so, yeah, it's going to have to impact the tone um, and the approach, making that big of a change. Um, and But then there's also clearly creative things that they wanted to do differently as well. Like So when you say you may go back and watch more, but you probably watched through, I it would have been very easy for me to just like hit play and just watch through this. It, it is so 2000s, right? It's so odds. And in a way that actually I found really charming and endearing. And like that really, it felt like the the parts of aughts comedy that I enjoyed. So yes, some of the, the humor is really broad. You can see that there, you know, there's there are definitely Sex in the Cities and Friend uh, Friends mm-hmm. parallels in in what's going yeah. on here. Uh, but I still, uh, you know, it didn't feel derivative. It felt like engaging in conversation with that type of of like sitcom approach you know um and i really like the performances i enjoyed all of the characters uh my i'm curious if you have a favorite character because i do there's a clear best character i'm curious if you agree with me about who it is it it, it should be william because he's it's the- william <laughs> it's obviously obviously william and now i really want to go back and rewatch the blackish girlfriends <gasps> reunion because when william showed up and that I was like this is so weird. Who are like, why are you, this is so weird. But now that I know William, I, I'm, I'm sure I will love that little bit of the reunion. Uh, yes. The correct answer is William. Uh, yeah. Much, no. the, the four quart, the quartet, the main characters are all, you know, very interesting. And, and I like and dislike different aspects of them over the course of their time on the show. But like, William's the best. Yeah. And I think a lot of that just boils down to the fact that Richie Hayes, who plays William gets all the, the scene steely material. Yeah. Um, but he also just has like a very wry delivery of making even what should be very stupid, zany stuff sing. Mm-hmm. Um, that should reasonably also break this character of like a apparently fairly well respected lawyer who ha- would make more sense on like Ally McBeal than he does here. Except for the fact that he's great, he's really interesting, he's got this rich interior world that they explore, um, and his relationship with Joan is really complicated, as the couple episodes that we watched here really kind of push at in really interesting ways. Um, So, yes, no, William's the best character on the show. But I do think that's by design, too, because it allows our quartet to be much more rounded than William actually really kind of feels. Um, Because while William's the best character on the show in terms of just like audience big belly laughs, he's also pretty flat. Um, He may be have like an interior world, but he's flat. 
everyone else here is really rounded, I think. Um, and they're also much thornier and more complicated than William is. Um, Joan has just so many issues and needs to be in therapy. Um, Maya's whole arc across the run of the show, um, even based on the snapshots that we get, seems really rich and interesting. Um, and then everything with Tony is just fraught and really engaging in how that character is set up very much like a um, Rebecca Howell type. And then just slowly watching that disintegrate and then just go really sour is also really interesting. And then the arguably for me, the weakest of the four is Lynn, because I don't think that the show ever really kind of zeroes in on what to do with Lynn based on what we watched. Um, but they also get a really great cultural appropriation episode out of it. So I can't be too upset about it. Yeah, the it, it's easy for William to be the best character and our and my favorite character because they don't ask Reggie Hayes to, you know, make William terrible for an entire season the yes. way they asked Tracy Ellis Ross to make Joan the worst. Um mm-hmm. and I haven't like I kind of don't want to go back and watch season 6. <laughs> Uh, and and it, it's clearly very intentional what they're doing with each of these characters when they play into their more destructive or uh, harsher or less um, likable traits. They're mm-hmm. it's very deliberate. It's very intentional. They want them to be challenging. They want them to be more honest um, and to be distinct. And so they are. Um, but that also means that it's like, oh, who's your favorite? You know, are you a Joan or a Maya? Like, I am none of these characters. Yeah. Uh, I'm closest to a Joan, but I am not a Joan, you know? So, yes. and, and I appreciate that the show wasn't interested in just making them all, you know, keep make, keeping them as the rather likable and uh, cookie cutter characters they start out as. Like, yes. with defined roles in the group and, you know, certain aspirations, certain strengths, certain weaknesses, they really let them play uh, play around and grow. And I, mean, I think the way that they develop the Tony and Maya relationship, um, which they, they get a lot of, of material out of early on with an antagonist, antagonistic relationship, and then they, they stretch and grow it into, as soon as that starts to, they can tell that's not going to work forever, so they start you know, changing it up and having it grow in different ways. Um, I agree that I think at least with the episodes that we watched Lynn, like I felt the worst for Persia white as like, they are not giving you stuff to play um, in the way that they did give the other leads a lot more to do. Um, So that was sort of a shame, but you know, I also didn't see much of her season where she becomes a a singer. Yeah. No, we didn't get to see much of that. No. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe that worked out great. I do know that I'm not interested, all that interested in watching the season where Joan is terrible but you know if you're gonna write tony out of the show they which i i'm assuming they knew that they were working toward that yes they did um jill murray jones uh wanted to leave Mm -hmm. so they knew that that was coming and they wrote to that so writing to that by not sabotaging her character but the one who's gonna character who's gonna stay on the show i think is a really interesting and a respectful thing to do like we need there to be a break between these two characters there doesn't make sense for the. There's no reason that there would be a break between these two characters because they're so close for all these years. Um, so we need to build to a point where somebody could do something that would be bad enough that the audience will support them leaving the show, basically. Yes. And they do that, and that I mean I think that takes a lot of uh, bravery on like a writing level. 
of mm-hmm. trusting that you're going to be able to come back from that with your characters in the next season um, and really earn it and have it have it feel appropriate. Um, so I think that's a really neat choice. And there's some other things like that that I appreciated seeing the show kind of play around with and experiment with. Yeah, and I think your point about the ways in which that they push their characters um, stands really in sharp contrast to something like you mentioned Friends. Um and friends in, suffered from the kind of the opposite problem where everyone got too distilled to really bad core values of Ross just became so Ross and Monica became so Monica um, and Joey became very, very Joey, um, which isn't which is the opposite of what happens here, really, in that characters Everyone with really, again, with the exception of Reggie, um, Reggie Hayes' uh, William molds and changes and shifts. And then they embrace those thornier, more off-putting aspects of them, of each of their four characters. And even to a certain extent, William as well, later in the season where he's just constantly trying to find a way out of his uh, relationship um, with Monica played by the really great Keisha Sharp um, who comes, who recurs for three seasons and then is a main for season seven and eight. And she's great. Um, She, she's done really great work since girlfriends and before girlfriends. Um, She had a really good, like three, three episode arc on the good fight really, really recently. And she was on uh, lethal weapon and, and was kind of the best thing about the lethal weapon (laughs) TV show. Um, but yeah, that, that desire to almost do this sort of prestige drama type of approach to a sitcom, um, in terms of how your characters change and also just really actively pushing hard on Joan's kind of descent within the group and how that really messes up the dynamics. I think it's just really compelling, really interesting. And like you say, it's very, very brave to do that. Um, and it also doesn't reek of desperation of a, we're on a new network, we need to figure out a way to like fit or all this stuff. And instead, it just feels like a natural development out of one of our actors wanted to leave. Like you said, what's the best way to do that in a way that makes sense for the show? And let's have it be that Joan just falls completely apart. Um, and so much so that like it all makes sense to you and I even though we don't have like the full context for that, but we get it from her behavior at the party. Um, and we get it from that just kick-ass scene with Wayne Brady. Um, that is just brutal. It's just brutal. Um, folks, we're talking about uh, season six episodes, 21 and 22 party over here and ain't nothing over there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, that Wayne Brady scene just sums up everything you need to know really about what, what happened to Joan over the course of that season. Yeah, it, and congrats on, to them for taking uh, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross in that dress and oh, and making it not work. The yeah, way. I know because it works, but she's it, um she looks amazing. Yeah, uh, in the but it and you know it and that's also to Ross for her physicality and her her yes. performance for, through that. But yeah, no, that's like. That's why I was like, because that was the episode, those two were the episodes I watched of that season. And uh-huh. not having seen any of the rest of the season, I was like, I know everything I need to know about what yes. happened this season with Joan from, you know, context clues throughout the episode, but with that scene with Wayne Brady. 
Absolutely. Um, and, and they did bring a lot of, you know, we mentioned him. He was on the show earlier in that season. Um, yeah, he did like four four or six episodes, a small handful of episodes that season. Yeah, they brought on a lot of really terrific guest uh, guest stars over the run of the show. Um, the one that I had absolutely no interest in was Ellis, the, the love interest who's the actor. Uh, that was hard for me to watch. Like, this is not show. This is not good. This is not it. Like <gasps> his American accent is so bad. <laughs> it's just what? What are you? Why? Why is this the thing that's is happening? Because like they really set up Joan to be really likable and like centered and goofy and weird and you know, but also like your center of the show um, yeah. early on. And then you, if you jump the way we did, you see her. It's like why would anyone spend any time with this? Like her best yes. friend's getting married and she's like crying about her boyfriend. Who, like what why what is happening why so but i think that for me was a testament to how invested i was with these characters even when i didn't mm-hmm. like them i was very invested with yes. them um of, over what like was happening and and you know like make better life choices please yeah um that ellis point is the, the character ellis is a really good point um because a i love adrian lester but he his his vibe for this show is all wrong mm-hmm. um but yeah watching those sequences you just go why but why no just leave just go um which i think really again speaks to the bravery of this show um in terms of really willing to do that kind of a thing mm-hmm. um but you since that's part of like the wedding which is the uh, two-part finale of season three, which also includes... Um, uh, Jennifer Lewis. Yes. The um, one and only. God, just doing proto-Ruby real hard, um, but also just, yes, it's delicious. Um, but also baby y- Yvette Nicole Brown. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, my problem with the wedding, however, is that... Listeners, when we watch this episode, um, it goes from we go from episode 19 of season three to episodes 24 and 25 of season three. And episode three, episode 19 of season three is the pact, which involves a bridesmaid for that wedding never showing up in the finale. (laughs) Yep. Um, Which is very aughts sitcom continuity type stuff but i do want to talk this provides us a way to talk about the pact because i think the pact is just a really significant episode that i had heard about but never actually watched um listeners the pact deals with a um friend uh of three of the girl three of the women's uh from college bad history long grudge um but she uh, reveals that she has she's um, has full blown AIDS, um, and this is significant for a couple of reasons. Not the least of which is the fact that they're just doing an AIDS episode in like um, 2003, when that is a little passe at that point. But it's not passe because it's actually depicting a black woman with AIDS, which is almost not represented at all within the television landscape. And the episode's really, really good. Like, the ways in which they write all four of the girlfriends is uniformly terrible about this speaks to the reason why this episode needs to exist in the first place, because even when this episode aired, people probably all, anyone probably thought any number of things 
that aligned with how they get depicted in this episode still because AIDS was just is and was still just massively misunderstood. And that episode is also just really good, I think, as yeah. well. Yeah, it's good. And because it, 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 you think you're watching one episode and then it takes yes. a, a hard right. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the fact that this, this is a show that wants to tell that story and wants to do it and does it so well and, you know, kind of like sets up a different episode for you mm-hmm. um, it, it, to be like, yeah, this is also just a daily like one other day in the wedding prep also includes a story about someone who's who has aids and that's yeah it's a they also have a daily life they also are slicing vegetables for a salad you know like yeah. there it, it's i thought i appreciated uh when storylines would come up that a lot of shows would not be interested in exploring um i <laughs> and she should have been <laughs> unless there's something else that happens that we don't know about because we skipped a few episodes she should have been in the in the wedding it's very strange that she wasn't there um, did you have any episodes that you particularly enjoyed or or storylines or ideas? Um, well, and this, again, speaks to the list that we did. I really appreciated um, doing uh, He Loves Her, He Loves Me Not, season four, episode 19, and immediately following with season five, episode 14, Greatest Expectations, uh, which the former episode deals with the fact that every, a new girlfriend of Williams is just like, you're in love with Joan and you need to get, you need to do something about this and stop stringing along other women. And then like they apparently get involved and start dating in season five. And then that episode goes, yeah, no, this isn't the OTP folks. Like, no, it's not. And you and I are like one of those people, two people who are just like, yeah, if it's not going to be a thing, don't make it a thing. Like mm-hmm. we always point to elementary as like that yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so it was really great to watch the show go, yeah, this isn't a thing. Like we, it makes sense, but it's not a thing. But I have a, I had a problem with that because okay. I don't think, I didn't like how they handled it. I like the concept. I like the idea. But I don't think you have them date for three months. You have him talk about how he's wanted to be with her in a romantic, physical way since he first met her eight years ago. And you don't have, like, have him spend the whole episode counting down until they're going to have sex. And then have, like, it didn't feel honest and it didn't feel respectful of William uh, to me. I think they needed to, I think they needed to do more to examine his point of view and where he was at, I think they showed hers pretty well. And I am absolutely fine. And I actually really love, of course, the, the last shot of them on the bed and they're making a heart with their bodies, right? It was really lovely. But I think it needed, we needed more parody of having them becoming from the same place um, so that it doesn't turn into no, Joan was just stringing him along. Uh, and he's like, after the fact, yeah, no, I, I also agree that this, yes, uh, we, we both feel the same. Which is, it felt a little bit like that. Um, not because that's what they were, I don't think they were actually going for that. Um, and I, I liked that they gave him the agency of, yeah, when I said we should wait to have sex, um, I, I said I was doing that for you, but really it was for me. And I, I would have liked just a little bit more with that. Mm-hmm, and part mm-hmm. of I, part of why I was counting down the days is because I was worried that it was that I that it was going this was going to be a mistake, 
and I just needed to, we just should go for it. Cause I was worried that if I, we didn't then, you know, so I, they could have given him just a little bit more that would have balanced out his motivations through the episode. I think because okay. I had, tr- I just had trouble with the arc of it um, yeah. because I am so invested in William. <laughs> I didn't have trouble with the arc for her. I thought they nailed the arc for her, but like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think you date like that for three months and have like a, a meaningful romantic connection that isn't sexual for three months and then go, no, I think we're just friends. I think you like try to date for a little bit and then you realize that, no, I don't think you go for, I don't know. What Any thoughts on this? So I think that it's challenging um, to kind of depict this. And part of this, I think may just be missing like the beginning middle of it. We only yeah. get the end. Yeah. I think some of it just has to do with the fact that maybe for them, there really wasn't a shift in like the emotional component of their relationship um, from what they had already established, which is sort of a reasonable thing to assume after like eight years of being friends. Yeah, but are they uh, not making out for those three months? Right? Like we've not. we've seen Jane the Virgin. We know there's a lot you can do without having sex. Come on. <laughs> And no, I think that's a super fair point. And like, this is like, again, we missed the beginning and the middle. This is because we skipped a bunch of episodes, listeners. This is our fault. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is, I think this is kind of on us. But I also think that you're not wrong per se. Um, But without seeing the other episodes, I don't know that I can fully get on board. Mm -hmm. Um, Fair enough. But I do, I do agree with you that the ways in which that, that, that moment of, his agency and it probably needed a bit more space um that i that i can agree with without having seen the rest of it um because i seriously doubt we got a a scene of him going all right we're gonna not do anything for three months because we're not gonna get that yeah so yeah yeah well uh there are plenty of other fun uh and interesting choices throughout the run of the show uh anytime we got flashbacks always fun them in college oh, very nice good good wigs um, yes very good um the there the, there's i mean i i really like i said i really enjoyed my time with this and uh, this is absolutely a show that i will go to when i'm like out of things to watch and haven't found a new reality show to busy myself with um it's just like starting at the beginning and just having fun with these characters um so listeners if you're a fan of girlfriends reach out let us know what we're missing on these you know topics we've been talking about um or which episodes we have to make sure to to set aside some time for um but yeah i'm definitely really glad that you know, we at least started dipping our toes into into girlfriends, and there's some other ones that we have coming up that are complete blind spots for me that I'm very glad to be kind of finally exploring. So, if you have shows like the listeners that you want us to seek out, and you have a list of like a handful of episodes we can do because I don't have time to watch eight seasons of a show anymore in a week the way that I used to at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, so, just you know, if you can give us a list of ten episodes of a show you think we should watch. Reach out and let us know. Um, any final thoughts on girlfriends? No, really great. Um, and it's like it's a hundred and seventy something episodes. So if you're looking for something to watch right now. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps up the podcast for this week. A few show notes. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find our podcast, uh, the Amphoid 
uh, chaptered version and the MP3 unchaptered version over on Apple Podcasts. And we're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. You can also find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.